Morning, Shiloh. My name is Mark Lacasse, and I'm excited to be able to bring the message to you guys today. Um, this is actually my first time back in Shiloh since the pandemic broke out back in March. My wife and I, we, our son is in the high-risk category, so because of that, we've been very cautious over the past number of months and have kept ourselves away from a lot of people. And so it's very different um, for me to be here today. I'm very excited to be here and be around you guys. Um, but I do want to talk to the people online for a minute. If your online and online church is going to be your future church for the next period of life, I understand that's where we've kind of come to the agreement. That's where we're going to be for a while. Um, so I just want you to know if that's hard for you, though, because it's been hard for us. You're not alone. Um, I understand some of those isolation feelings that you've been having. And I know the enemy wants us to try to feel isolated, but just recognize you're not in this alone. Other people are feeling the same way as you. So if you, I encourage you, reach out to someone else you know that might be feeling isolated and you know, try to find some sort of community in this time. Um, and this doesn't really apply to the people here because you're here, so you're forced to follow our routine here. Um, but for those of you at home, I know my wife and I had a struggle for the first couple of months figuring out how do we, we have two little kids, how do we do kids' church, and how do we do our own church, and all those sorts of things. Um, but we eventually came up with a routine where we'll do kids' church with our kids on YouTube um, that Kathy Saller puts out, and then we'll do worship as a family, and then when it's time for the message, we send the kids off to the other room, they watch a show on their iPad and have a snack, and my wife and I get to watch the message. What was happening at before that was we would do kids' church during the message time, and then we'd be like, oh, we'll get to the message, and then come Tuesday or Wednesday, we still hadn't listened to the message, and we're like, well, it's too late now. It's not too late, by the way, but that was just our laziness on our part. So anyways, take it for what it's worth. If you're at home, I encourage you guys to find some sort of routine to make home church um, successful. I'm going to take a drink of water, and every time I take a drink of water, when I preach, it makes me think of Melissa St. Cyr back when she used to preach at Pulse in those good old days, and she's here today, so that's why I say that. Um, so, <clears throat> speaking of COVID and the pandemic, um, that's just one of the many topics that's been a catalyst for my message today, because we can't get away from it, right? You know, uh, between, like, masks and no masks, and should the government tell us to shut down, and should the government tell us not to shut down, um, between the racial equality um, boycotts and and issues going on there, and how do we love and support the people of color, and how do we support the police at the same time, um, and the upcoming presidential election, with which there's like no middle ground, it seems like it's only one way or another. In my opinion, and maybe you agree with me, the desire to be right in our world is at an all-time high, at least in my life experience. And then when you couple this desire to be right with social media, that's a sounding board for anyone who wants to join in. Our country is the perfect recipe for disunity and a lack of love. And on the past few months, this has been weighing heavily on me as I've examined my own thoughts and I've heard opinions and thoughts from other people and I watch the news, I try not to and I don't do it much, I avoid it at all costs. Um, but as I've seen things here and there, um, this has kind of been stirring something in my heart. And so the title of the message today is called The Messy Middle, and it refers to areas in life where we find most arguments and strong opinions. And I'm going to go into more detail on that um, shortly. But I think to understand that a little better, I, I look back into my own life. And I, when I was younger, 
I was a very much a black and white person. You know, you have right and you have wrong and there's nothing in between. And what I think is right is right. And what you think, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. And there's kind of no middle ground for us. And maybe you can um, empathize or understand that in some way. Maybe that's how you are. Um, but as I've got, become older, I'm 34, so maybe I'm still young to you. But anyways, as I've become older, um, God softened my opinions a lot. And I'm understanding more and more that there's this middle area. Uh, and so while I grew up in a world of black and white, it's not really the case. Do I wish life was as simple as everything is black and white? Of course, it would make life so much easier, but it's really not. Now, so you don't think I'm going to go too old, like new age on you guys today and follow your heart and everything is right, whatever you want to be right is right, and I'm not going to say that. Um, I do believe there are absolute rights and absolute wrongs in life. For example, absolutely right truth, Jesus is God's son, Jesus came to the earth, he died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead, and if you confess your need for a savior in Jesus Christ, uh, then you will be saved and you'll get to spend eternity with him. Those are absolute rights that I will not debate or argue with like those are true. Then I think there's the absolute wrongs. I think we could all kind of agree that, you know, rape, murder, stealing, among many other things— are absolutely wrong. Those aren't really up for debate. But in the middle, there's a lot of perspectives and a lot of opinions and a lot of convictions and things that might be socially acceptable in one generation and not acceptable in another generation. And that's where we find ourselves most often, and that's what I want to talk about today, and that's what I call the messy middle. Not the rights, not the wrongs, but the middle. And this, this middle area can be spiritual, it can be political, it can be lifestyle choices, and it can be issues between believers and non-believers. But today, I really want to focus on what's our responsibility towards believers in and amongst ourselves as a church. And I mean like a broader church and this church too. So what are some examples of the messy middle? Well, how do we worship? Should we stand? Should we clap? Should we dance? Should we wave banners all around the church? Should women be allowed to speak in church? Should women be allowed to be in a place of leadership in a church? Should women have their head covered at all times in a church? Should people publicly speak in tongues? Is God a Republican or is God a Democrat? Should I vaccinate my child? Sure, for schooling, is homeschool the way? Is it public school? Is it private school? Should we listen to Dr. Fauci on the news or ignore every word that comes out of his mouth? I mean, I could go on and on and on with these lists and these topics that we find in the middle. I told the first service, my wife is like the one who keeps me in line and not screwing up too much, because my thought was I'll take a microphone, I'll toss out one of those topics, vaccinations, and we'll start to get some like, you know, sounding off like side to side and hear the different opinions, but I thought that would get pretty messy pretty quickly, hence the messy middle. Um, so we're not going to do any crowd participation. Then I'd get within six feet of you probably too. But anyways, um, many of the ways, and this is what it really comes down to, many of the ways we choose to live out our life and our faith come down to personal preference or conviction. And this is something I have to fight in myself all the time. I'm not always right. I'll confess that. And my ways of living are not the only ways of living. But I hope that maybe you could agree with me in this today too, that your ways are not always right. And you're, you're sorry, you're not always right and your ways are not the only way of living. Just because we choose to live out our life and our faith in a certain way, it doesn't mean that everyone else should. 
And then when think about it, think back on your own experiences. When we think that we're right and we need to get everyone else on our side and prove the fact that we are right, doesn't that often backfire? Then the other person digs in their heels and they do the same thing. And then it becomes pretty messy pretty quickly. Because it takes humility and the power of the Holy Spirit to think that other people can do things differently than me and still love God just as much or even more. So then what am I trying to get at? I'm not just trying to say we're all awful and we stink and we need to do better. Well, that, that is true, but no, we don't all stink. But what I'm trying to get at is we live in a world of discord. And that discord between believers is often in the messy middle. Because think about it. How often do you argue with other Christians about Christ being the Messiah? That's not usually like a big argument, right? Or how often do you argue with other Christians or other people that you really shouldn't murder someone? Like, well, you know, no. Like, those are kind of the absolutes, right? It's in that messy middle where we find ourselves engaging in arguments, and these arguments will tear apart the unity that Jesus wants us to have as a body of believers. So let's go to Romans 15 for a second. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 5. We'll actually be in Romans 15 and 14 today. So if you have a Bible and you want to open up to those, that's fine. But Paul says in Romans 15, verse 5, May the patience and encouragement that come from God allow you to live in harmony with each other the way Christ Jesus wants. So it's pretty clear. Jesus wants unity and harmony among his believers. And that he will give us the patience and encouragement to be able to do that. I was actually reading another version of that this morning. The Living Bible says, may the patience, steadfastness, and encouragement that come from God. Steadfastness, it's that firm belief. It's unwavering, unmoving. God will give us the ability to be unwavering in our unity if we allow him to. In verse 6, he says, then you will be joined together and you'll give glory to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're united, we bring glory to God. And glory is we're reflecting God, right? We're reflecting who he is. Think about the Trinity, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. They live in perfect unity with each other. And God wants us to reflect that in our lives here on earth. But be honest for a minute. And I'll I'll ask for crowd participation. I think I had some liars in the first service, so maybe you guys will be more honest. Um, But raise your hand if you've had a friendship with another believer and or be hurt in some way over a disagreement of something in the messy middle. Is there any people that will be honest here? And you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but now think about it. Did you dig in your heels because you were right? I'll be honest, I've done that too. Well, at least in my mind I was right. I probably wasn't actually right. You know, one of my favorite prayers that I've heard from Pastor Greg and Pastor Ed and the elders over the years is when they pray for unity and not sameness. You know, that no matter where their opinions stand as leaders of our church and as believers, that they would remain united in Christ so that unity would bring glory to God. They don't have to have the same opinions. They don't have to always think the same thing, but that would, they would stay united as a group. And I think especially in these times, when we think about masks or no masks, who do we vote for, vaccination, schooling, remote, whatever, how to love people of color in the world, we need to be united together as believers more than ever, but we don't need to be the same. And that kind of alludes to the idea that this messy middle has been an issue between believers since the beginning of the church. 
So if you were in Romans 15, head back to Romans 14 for a minute. Maybe it's just one scroll or one page in your Bible if you actually have a paper Bible with you. Um, And I'm not going to read the whole chapter of Romans 14 today, but I encourage you to read the whole thing on your own at some point. I'm going to say today, because if I say at some point, then you'll be like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, then you won't do it. But I encourage you, read the whole chapter. It's really good. And so Paul's talking to early believers in the church. And in verse 1, he says this, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. You know, so he's saying we need to accept other believers without fighting over those disputable matters, those things that are up for debate. So just so I'm clear, is Jesus being the Messiah up for debate among us? No, that's, that's an absolute, right? But those other topics, we need to accept each other. He continues in verse 2 to say, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. You're like, so wait, like, that doesn't make sense. Well, in this time, you had a number of Christians or followers of Christ who had formerly been Jews, and they had the old law of the Old Testament that they followed, which had different eating restrictions. And so while some Jews became Christians and they're like, hooray, let's get rid of the old law. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Some Jews who were now followers of Christ were like, well, I'm going to still follow these old eating requirements. And so there is this tension in the church a couple thousand years ago. Some people are like, eat whatever you want. Some people are like, don't eat meat. And there's this fight going on, and that's what Paul's alluding to here. He says in verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So when it comes to this eating, Paul says, it doesn't matter. If it makes some people feel better not to eat meat and follow the old law and believe Christ is the Messiah, let them do it. I mean, it's their own self-inflicted torture if they don't want to have a nice juicy steak, right? I'm just kidding. I love all vegetarians as well. Um, But if you're choosing to follow the old law and believe Christ is the Messiah— Don't judge the people who have thrown away the old law. Don't think, well, hey, I believe in Christ and I'm following the old law, so I'm better than you. We shouldn't be judging each other based on our decisions either. In verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So what he's saying is we are all God's servants. So it's not our job to be looking at the servant next to us who's working for God saying like, well, you shouldn't be choosing to live that way. Like, come on, my way is better than you. God's our master, and that's his job to correct and rebuke in these areas. You know, Andy Stanley defined, he's, he's like one of my favorite, he actually, no, he's probably, well, besides for Pastor Greg and Pastor Ed, he's my favorite pastor in the world. Uh, I love Andy Stanley, North Point Community Church. Anyways, he um, he, I was re- listening to a message recently of his, and he defined a servant as someone who wakes up every day thinking about how to better serve their master. And so while we get ourselves so consumed with, well, I need to save you and teach you how to live your life because I'm living my life better than you in this area, and we get that like whole savior complex and savior mentality, Andy Stanley and God would say they're not the same, they're different. But God would say, like, no, like, I'm your master. Like, Focus on how you can serve me, and I'll take care of that person over there. In verse 5, he says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. So again, like, this is now Sabbath day versus non-Sabbath day, another argument they were having in the church. 
Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. So really, what does it come down to? Whatever you choose to do in these messy middle topics, we need to make sure that our reason for it is to honor God. And how do we know if it's honoring to God? We need to actually go to God and ask him, God, is this how you would choose for me to live in this area of my life in this time? We, um, I, I heard this cool term, not cool term, I heard this term this week called the cancel culture. Maybe you've known about this for a long time. I'm usually like two years behind something, so maybe it's been around for a while. I don't know. But it's the whole idea that <clears throat> like, we have through social media and um, other means, you know, news, media, whatever, the ability to cancel out someone's influence in the world. And so often it's referred to as, you know, some celebrity has some gross misconduct and through public shaming and other sorts of things, we can cancel out their impact in the world and make them go to the background forever. And while I've seen that happen, I think we also do this as humans, but also as believers to those people that are close to us. You know, I might be friends with someone for a number of years, but then that one topic that I am so passionate about above anything else comes up. And we disagree, and they share their honest opinion, and I share my honest opinion. And now I'm going to cancel out years of friendship and not be able to be their friend anymore. And it's a choice that I make. And see, what Paul would say here is, if they are doing something to the Lord, and they have gone to God on it, and you've gone to God on it, then guys, do your own things, but don't rip apart this unity that should be here. Don't cancel out their influence in your life. In verse 10, he says, Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not. But I often think I'm more right than other people. I don't know if any of you guys are like that. And this is really hard for me um, because, like, especially when it comes to parenting. And I'm, I'm definitely like a, hey, choose to, like, raise your kids how you want to raise your kids. Like, whatever works for you guys, do that. Until I then hear parents who do something that I think is stupid, and I'm like, well, no wonder you're having problems with your kids. What are you doing? And I start judging them pretty quickly. So while I accept all when it comes down to it, I really don't, and I really struggle with judging. And, by the way, I am not a go on to social media and say, this is my opinion, and you should all believe me. And even in small group, if I'm sitting around with people in small group and they share something that's pretty dumb, I'm not going to be like, well, that's a pretty dumb opinion. Like, you know, I'm, I'm what you would call a silent judger. Um, where somebody says something, and I am instantly judging them in my head, I don't have the courage or the stupidity or whatever to actually verbalize how much I'm judging them, but I'm definitely judging them in my head. Is anyone else a silent judger? Yeah. Well, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 2, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. So Jesus doesn't say, if you judge people on social media, or if you verbally out loud judge people, you will be judged as well. It's like, if we judge. So this is something I need to do better at in my own life of judging people. And I mean, Paul's pretty clear here too. He says, 
in verse 10, we will all stand before God's judgment seat and give an account for why we thought we were better than his creation. Like not Paul's creation, but God's creation. So this is an area that I want to improve in when it comes to judging. And I don't know about you, but when I read things about eating meat and not eating meat and Sabbath days and days of the week, it has like some impact on me. Um, But what I often like to do is I'll, not in like a um, bad spiritual way, but I'll like put my name or kind of change around some of the words in a verse to be able to make it apply to today's time. So I'm going to do that right now and have um, Luke put that up on the screen. So let's take the first three verses and try to make it more applicable to 2020. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person allows them not to wear masks, but another whose faith is weak wears masks. And I'm not saying if you wear masks, you're weak. I had to put them in either spot. So I'm being honest there. I'm not trying to um, look down on one or the other. The one who wears masks must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not wear masks must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And when I put it in those terms, this scripture speaks to me loud and clear. And this is really challenging for me because my son has a serious health condition, and so the virus is an extremely like, life-threatening thing for him. And so when I go out in public or when I see people um, who know my family and are around us and they choose not to wear a mask near us, I get really angry and I get really judgy really fast. Because for me, it's like it's the, it's the safety of my kid. But this is what God's been teaching me through this message. And I think this, is like this next point is why God is having me bring this message personally for myself. If I've gone to God and I've made the decision and I've prayed to God, I'm like, hey, how should we live out with masks in this area? And we're convicted as a family to wear masks. I need to trust that my fellow brother or sister in Christ who's choosing not to wear a mask, has gone to God and done the same thing. And if it's between them and God not to wear masks, then it's not my job to judge them, and it's not my job to condemn them. Now, you might think that I have like a rosy picture of Christians and that most Christians probably are just like, I'm not going to go to God. I'm just going to do whatever I want, and it doesn't really matter. Well, if that's their case, then I need to remember this. I'm not that person's master. I'm a fellow servant. God is their master. So it's, my, it's not my job to judge them for how they live their life. Now, all that to say, I mean, I can always like say to my friend, like, hey, do you mind wearing a... It's not like we have to never share our opinion. Like, hey, could you wear a mask for Matthew? Like, we want to keep him safe, blah, blah, blah. But it's not my job to judge them or condemn them or tear apart the unity of the church that God wants so badly. So let's do it one more time. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to encourage government involvement. But another whose faith is weak wants the government out of their life. Again, if you want the government out of your life, I'm not saying you're weak. I'm just putting them in different spots. The one who believes in government involvement must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who wants the government out of their life must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. So not to beat a dead horse, I'll move on, but I think we can all come to some sort of agreement, right? That we have differing opinions as believers in Christ, and God can be okay with both choices. The question is, how do we stay united 
And in verse 13 of chapter 14, Paul says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I think what Paul's talking to these people about vegetables and meat and whatever, he's saying, guys, you're missing the point. The point is not about asserting my way and my rights. The point is loving other people. And when we assert, or sorry, our judgment and our desire to prove that we're right when we, um, can become a stumbling block to other people. And so when we are so certain that we're right and we need to make everyone else believe the same way that we do, it becomes a stumbling block to others. He says, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And I encourage you to go back to that scripture and take the, you know, replace some words from today's time in there. And I think that will have some pretty big impact too. But when it comes down to it, these messy middle arguments, they're fueled by a determination that I'm right and others should think the same way as I do. Or if I'm not, maybe you're the person like, I don't care if people think the same way that I do. Then maybe you're, I'm going to live the way that I want and no one can tell me how to live differently because I have my freedom and I have my independence and I'm going to live the way that I want to. But all of this just comes back to selfishness. Asserting my way is not acting in love the way Christ has towards us. And I think we need to be humble enough to entertain the idea that our lives should be lived differently in order to love other people. Meaning we lay down our rights and we lay down what we want to do for the sake of loving others. Where do I get that from? Well, John 13, 34 to 35 says this from Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. So then how did Jesus love me? If I'm supposed to love others as Christ has loved me, how did Jesus love me? Well, he was the exact opposite of selfishness. He was selfless. Would he defend his father? Of course. Would he defend the absolute rights that I mentioned at the beginning? Of course he would. But he didn't come to do that. He came to seek and save the lost and give his life. And you know, he didn't come to win in the way that we view winning. In these messy middle areas, we get so focused on, I need to win and I need to be right and everyone else needs to be, like, think that I'm right and think the same way as me. But Jesus didn't come to win. He came to lose. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, he lost to the Jewish council. He lost to Pontius Pilate. He lost his life, but through losing, Jesus won because he won us over to him. You know, in the United States, we have independence and freedom written into our DNA, and that's amazing, and I would never give that up for anything. But I think Jesus would urge us that independence and freedom doesn't mean I get to do whatever I want. It's how can I live selflessly for those in my life? How can I live selflessly for those who I encounter on a daily basis? So when it comes down to it, we need to be okay with losing. 
it's okay to lose the notion that everyone needs to be like me. And let's be honest, if everyone was like you, it would be pretty bad. And if everyone was like me, it would be pretty bad, right? No one wants that world. They'd laugh at poop jokes all the time if they were like me. But I'm training my kids well. They're five and three, and they get poop jokes, so that's good. You know, we need to be okay with losing the easy path with our convictions if that's not where God wants us to go. What do I mean by that? If we're convicted to live a certain way, but you know what? It's becoming a stumbling block for my brother or sister. Then we need to be okay to let that go and love above all else. And we need to know it's okay to lose an argument if it means I preserve a relationship and show Christ's love. You know, this morning in my quiet time, I was reading and I was, I've been very into just being completely honest. I've been very insecure about this message all week. And I've been wanting to make sure that this is like biblically backed and I'm not just sharing my own opinions here towards you guys. But time and again this week, I've been coming to different scriptures that have asserted what it is I felt like God was having me to say. This morning in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 29, I read this. Paul is writing to now the Corinthians church, a different church. But why, you should, but why, you ask, should my freedom be judged by someone else's conscience? And don't we ask that question? Why should I give up my freedom of how I live because someone, someone else's conscience is having them live a different way? If I eat my meal with thankfulness, why am I criticized because of something for which I thank God? The answer is, Paul says, if you eat or drink, or if you do anything, do it all for the glory of God. Never do anything that might hurt others, Jews, Greeks, or God's church. Just as I try to please everybody in every way, I am not trying to do what is good for me, but what is good for the most people so they can be saved. Follow my example as I follow Christ. And that's what it comes down to, guys. We need to love others selflessly as Christ has loved us. So guys, to wrap up on a more practical note, if you could go to the, to the next slide. Uh, here are three questions to ponder, to talk about with someone else this week, to go to God with. Um, if, if there's an issue that you're struggling with, with judging other people or sharing your opinion or responding to opinions of others, ask yourself, have I taken this to God? Are my convictions and how I feel in this area actually biblical? Is this actually the opinion that God wants me to have? Or is this just what I thought was right? What's my motivation between what I want to say? Like someone might be wrong in what they're saying, but is my motivation in responding to like destroy them in an argument? Or is my motivation to love? You know, is the way I'm acting or my potential response a stumbling block to others? If I act or respond in the way that I think is right, is that going to hurt other people in their faith and turn them away from God if they're not believers? In this area, how can I love others or a specific person, just as Jesus has loved me. With my goal in mind, how can my choices and convictions build unity in our church? It takes humility and the power of the Holy Spirit to think people can do things differently than me and still love God just as much or even more. So let's pray. God, I pray that the words that came out of my mouth today were from you. And God, if there's anything that I said today that's not of you, would it just be blown away like chaff to the wind? 
But God, would your words sink deep into our hearts today? And God, if we're listening today and we think, oh, I'm good with this, don't worry. God, if there's any offensive area in us, would you show that to us? Would you reveal it to us? So God, that we can deal with that. And God, above all else, would we build unity in your church? Would we stay together? God, would we keep our opinions? God, would we keep the ways that we think life is best to living in that messy middle? But God, would we build unity above all else? Would we sacrificially love other people above all else? So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you're not free yet. Um, There's one more slide I want to show you guys additional steps that you could take. Um, Cool thing, how God works. I had this message written and I sent it over to Ben, who's one of the elders, my brother-in-law. And I was like, is this all right? And he said, yes. And cool thing, we're actually talking about doing a prayer night next week on a lot of these similar topics. So it's cool how God has kind of weaved weaved or woven these things together. Um, So I encourage you virtually or in person, attend this prayer night Wednesday, um, seven to eight. And then I also encourage you, if you like listening to messages, I mentioned I love Andy Stanley. He actually shared a message two weeks ago called Not In It To Win It. And I I promise you, I wrote my message before I listened to this message from Andy Stanley. But there are a lot of um, similarities. He's like way better than me, so you should just go listen to it anyways. Um, But it'll be well worth your time and your effort and how we can be loving in this crazy, um, divisive world. All right. Love you guys. Thanks for coming.